I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Some translations point out that in death, he will be the one to close your eyes. Jacob left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their father, Jacob, in wagons. Pharaoh had sent to carry him along with their children and their wives. They also took their cattle and possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his children with him went to Egypt. His sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed, all his offspring he had brought or he brought with him to Egypt. Father, we thank you for the testimony of Jacob, one of the great patriarchs of the faith, also one who was as human as we are, as real as we are, who experienced the same kind of challenges that we face. Lord, help us to learn from his example this morning. Help us to see that you can resurrect our dreams just like you resurrected Jacob's. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Talking this morning about resurrecting the dream. Joseph wasn't the only dreamer. Jacob was a dreamer. If you had dreams in your life, isn't it fun to talk to young children when nobody has quenched their ability to dream? When you begin to ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? There was a little girl who was half Caucasian, half Korean, said she had big dreams as a little girl, and then she started school. And she had never known anything that nobody had ever told her that she was different than other kids or anything. But this little girl said when she got around other kids and they began to make fun of her and make fun of her dreams, that she would go and she would hide in the bathroom at school. So someone would have to come find her, someone would have to come and get her. Later on as a young lady, when she began to try to overcome that fear, she said she distinctly remembered God confirming in her spirit, I will call you to step out in faith. Not only would he fulfill her dreams, but she and her husband would have the reputation of someone who resurrects the dreams of others. Some of you may have heard her testimony and know that I'm talking about Joanna Gaines, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And and so this young lady who was at one point feeling like her dreams had died, so much so that she had to hide out, isolate herself, not only had her dreams resurrected, but became one with the reputation of resurrecting the dreams of others. Here we are in chapter 46, getting to the end of the book of Genesis, and we read about Jacob now. We've been, we've been following Joseph, his son, but now we're going to come back to Jacob, who had wrestled with God. Remember, he had actually wrestled Isaac's blessing away from him. If you think back to how he had conned his own brother, known as a trickster is what his name meant. We discussed that in life group this morning. Then he had wrestled with God in that penile experience. That's why it refers to him as Israel here. The word and the name Israel has to do with striving with God or wrestling with God. I think sometimes that wrestling with God referred to the fact that he and the nation that followed would 
would wrestle against God, but there was also a striving with God on God's side that would come out of that as they learned to cooperate with God. And when he wrestled with God, he, he wouldn't let go, but there came a time later in life where it seemed like he might be letting go of those dreams. Remember, he wanted God's blessing on his life. He, he, his, that blessing would be a legacy of world influence for generations. But at this point, he had thought, at least, when we get to chapter 45, he thought he had lost Joseph. We got into that a little bit last week. He feared losing his other favorite, Benjamin, the two sons of Rachel. Now, he felt like perhaps he wasn't providing for this family, this posterity that God had blessed him with, that as he was thinking about the generations to come, what if we, man, what if we starve to death? What if we are annihilated as a people group? And when he found out that his circumstances were bigger than his name, when his circumstances were bigger than who he is, he discovered that there's a God who is bigger than his circumstances. And this morning, when we talk about resurrecting a dream, I know that many of you are facing situations and circumstances and challenges and sometimes the apparent death of a dream. But I want to encourage you, and I want you to leave this place confident this morning that God is bigger than your circumstances. Oh, your circumstances may be bigger than you, but God is bigger than your circumstances. How was Jacob's dream resurrected as we come almost to the end of this story? We'll wrap it up next Sunday, but as we come almost to the end of this story, how was Jacob's dream resurrected? I want you to see that in this passage that Really, if we go back just a few verses earlier, it begins with the death of fear. It begins with the death of fear. You know, the Bible tells us from beginning to end, fear not. We were constantly being told, do not fear. Be not afraid. One of my favorite scripture verses that I share with people, Isaiah 41.10, tells us to not only be this, not to be dismayed, not to be afraid nor dismayed, It says not to anxiously look about you. Literally, that's what the text is saying. Don't be so anxiously looking about you. We can become so paranoid when we realize how frail and how flawed we are as human beings. But because of God's grace and God's presence, or as we've seen in the life of Joseph, God's providence in our lives, we don't have to live our lives walking on eggshells, paranoid, worried about what might happen. And so this begins with the death of fear. We see the death of fear in three words right here when it says, Israel set out. Israel set out. Jacob's name, remember, had been changed to Israel because he wrestled with God and he won. To this point, Jacob seemed to have been paralyzed by fear, but now he's stepping out. He had been too concerned with imagining all that could go wrong. Does that sound like anybody here? You worry about what could go wrong? I've been guilty. I I can be so pessimistic at times. If there's anything that can go wrong, I'm thinking it will go wrong, and and I can come up with things everybody else didn't even think of. They're like, thanks, Robbie, appreciate it. Coming up with something else that could possibly go wrong. And we get too concerned with what could go wrong, and I, I think Jacob struggled with that, perhaps aware of what he deserved. Guilty again. 
when I think about what I deserve, it is so far short of the dreams that I have for impact in this world. Perhaps we're afraid to be presumptuous with grace, that if I say, man, I want to dream of doing something great for God. I want to dream of, of leaving a legacy for generations to come. If, if I do that, maybe I'm presuming on God's grace because I don't deserve all of that. And yet God is abundant in mercy and grace. The need is many times for us to simply see what God's doing. And that's what had happened in the life of Jacob. He could see what God was doing. You remember the story of Elisha's servant that was hopeless when they were surrounded by the king of Aram and his armies at Dothan, and they just, the servant just felt like, man, we're in trouble. So Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, open the eyes of this servant so that he might see what's going on. And God opened his eyes and he saw the angels and he saw the chariots of fire and he thought, whoa, wait a minute. He learned something. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's given us a dream and a calling and a vision, we need to embrace that knowing that God is the one that sees it to pass. And so... What helped Jacob overcome his fear? Let's back up a few verses. Go back to the end of chapter 45. I know we got into 45 a little bit last week. But starting in uh, verse 25, actually, I I love verse 24. That sets the context a little bit. When his brothers are going back uh, after after Joseph had forgiven and said, look, we're going to take care of you. Everything's going to be okay. Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't argue on the way. That sound like anybody's parents here. Don't argue on the way. I remember when we got our first minivan. Not only did I lose cool points as a youth pastor, Pastor Ben, but we got our first minivan. But the great thing about the minivan is with only two kids, we could give each one their own row and maybe bring the arguing down when we were on the road. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And so here he is, Joseph sitting in the back saying, don't argue. I know that you'll, you'll fuss and fight about things. You're going to worry about things. Don't gripe. Don't complain. Don't argue. Just, just go. Just go back. And they went up from Egypt. They came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They said, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, Joseph still being alive was enough to do what was about to happen next, but the fact that he was also the ruler over all the land of Egypt, here's the understatement in my translation. Jacob was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their Father Jacob revived. That passage, when you go back and you look at verse 26, it says he was stunned. It means that his his heart stopped within him. His heart stood still. It's like he's still alive. It's like he had a heart attack right there. I I don't know about you. I'm picturing, for those of you who are my age and older maybe, I'm picturing Fred Sanford getting this news going, man, yeah, Elizabeth, I'm coming to see you. No, he, he was, 
shocked. He was stunned. And it, 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 there's, there's no way we can state the impact. He heard that his son that he had thought had been passed away for so many years now. He, he heard that he was alive and that he's in charge. He's that prime minister and secretary of agriculture there in Egypt. He's got it all under control. And so he says in verse 28, enough, my son Joseph is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. Something that God initiated, something God revealed to him, helped him to overcome that fear. That's why it's so important to spend time with God. That's why it's so important to hear from him. When Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, it doesn't stop right there. It just says, don't worry about it. We've all got people in our life who can tell us, don't worry about it. And we're like, appreciate it. But if you were in my shoes, you'd be worried about it. But it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need that peace that can only come from God. And that comes when we get a word from God, when we get a message from God, and when we're not praying and when we're not spending time in his presence, we miss out often on that news. Remember the word Jeremiah, the prophet got when he was told, look, you're going to be a prophet in Israel. Now, this isn't part of a church growth strategy that I know of, but it was Jeremiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach the word and they're not going to listen. And you're going to warn them of the consequences, but your church is going to be a dying church. And that's, that's the church you're going to, Jeremiah. Things aren't going to go like most church conferences tell you they'll go if you just preach the word. And he said, but Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. They might try to intimidate you. They might not want to hear the truth, but don't be afraid of their faces. I think of the psalmist when he wrote, the Lord is with me in Psalm 118 and verse 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man or what can mere mortals do to me? Nothing without God's permission. I think of the Great Commission when Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 told us to go, therefore, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all those things that he had taught and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as we witnessed this morning. And when he gets to the end of that Great Commission, knowing what the first century church was going to face and what the church for many centuries would face, he says, I want you to know something. I am with you always, even till the end of the earth. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to anxiously look about you because I'm going with you. Jacob had been isolated by his fears for long enough. And on this day, we see the death of his fears. I read of a man named Janez Russ that had hid around his sister's farmhouse because he had been involved in what he was afraid some would perceive as pro-Nazi activity during the years of World War II. And in 1945, he thought he might be in trouble. The world had changed, and he hid in his sister's farmhouse for 32 years. It wasn't until the mid-'70s that he was discovered that he was told he was forgiven, that he didn't have anything 
to worry about. Can you imagine fear of what might happen to you causing you to isolate yourself, to be paralyzed? Maybe God's calling you to be involved in missions. And I believe as we talk about being a church that wants to bring up a generation that knows and loves and serves God, that we need to bring up a generation of young people who are, who are called to literally go, not just to this community, while that's important for all of us, not just maybe to the state of Georgia, but some even the international missions, we want to see a generation of young people who have a passion to touch their world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're going to have to come to a place in life where they overcome any fear that might paralyze them and say, I'm going to do what Israel did here and set out. I'm going to experience that. What I have noticed that it's usually not middle school students, Pastor Ben, it's usually not high school students, it's usually not college students that are hesitant to embrace God's mission that he's placed on their life. Usually it's parents and grandparents. Are you sure you want to do that? You sure God's called you to do that? We fear more for them sometimes than they fear themselves. Maybe it's we're called to witness to that neighbor. And so we don't go next door. We don't go to that classmate. We don't go to minister to that coworker because they might reject us. Maybe there's a trial that we're afraid to overcome because the challenge that comes with it places so much fear in our lives. I like the song that's become so popular by Zach Williams lately. Fear is a liar. You've heard it too, right? Fear is a liar. Why is that song so popular? Because we are starved to hear it. And we need to know that there's a death of fear that Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. He told us not to be afraid of what man can do, but it's better to fear God who can destroy us if we're not in right relationship with him, not walking with him. And so dream big because of the death of fear. Resurrect that dream. Secondly, I want you to see that we see him dreaming again in, in the way that he demonstrated his faith. The demonstration of faith means that we don't just say it, but that we put feet to our faith. Israel set out. Fear must at some point give way to faith in your life. If you truly believe that God is who he says he is and that you're called to do what he's called you to do, Fear must give way to faith. Look at the second part of this same verse here, in chapter 46, verse 1. With all that he had, he came to Beersheba, this, this city. Now, this is kind of a, a flashback in Jacob's life because of his father. Beersheba meant the well of sevens or, or the well of oaths. But Jacob's father Isaac had built an altar there. If you go back to uh, chapter 26 of Genesis. Actually, go ahead and flip there or scroll down to there. But Genesis chapter 26, starting with verses 23, 
says, from there he went up to, this is speaking of his father Isaac, from there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. And so while Isaac himself was in the midst of conflict and had his own enemies in the land, God is saying, I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid. It's enough that I've I've made a promise to your father Abraham. I'm going to bless the nations and all generations through you. He says, I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring. So he built an altar there and worshiped the Lord and pitched his tent there. Isaac's slaves also dug a well there. Now back to chapter 46. He came to Beersheba and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. When you come to that southern edge of Israel, when you come to Beersheba, that was kind of like the last town. It's your last stop on the way out of town, so to speak. And so before he leaves the nation, let's stop. Let's worship. Something happens when we worship God. The the, the fears begin to pass away and and faith grows in the midst of worship. Could you imagine being told like Joshua, hey, I want you to lead the children of Israel around Jericho every day for six days, but on the seventh day, I want you to go around it seven times. And then I want you to shout, and the walls are going to come down. And you're like, yeah, right. But when we begin to worship God, when we praise his name, when we lift up our voices, and it goes much further than that, what was happening here? Isaac had built an altar. Years later, Jacob is offering sacrifices in the midst of battle. Now, it was a battle internally for Jacob, but it was externally for Isaac. Something else that was different about the two is that Isaac was looking for the strength to stay put. Jacob was looking for the strength to go. Sometimes God calls you to have unusual strength. In order to, to resurrect your dream, it takes unusual spiritual strength to stay put. To stand strong where God's called you to stand. To stick out that relationship. To stick with that vocation that you believe with all your heart God's called you to be a part of. And so sometimes it takes unusual strength to stay put. At other times, God has called you to move, to go. And either way, we need God's strength to do what he's called us to do. Whether it's the faith to stay or the faith to to go, whatever God tells you to do. And so as you continue to read these verses, we see that Jacob is going to go in God's strength. That night God spoke to Israel in a vision. Now he's going to call him by his old name, right? Jacob, Jacob. Jacob replied, here I am. God said, I am God. You could almost just parenthetically say, enough said. We're not, (laughs) but he is. The God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. Everything I promised Abraham, what I promised Isaac, the dream is not going to die with Jacob or his children. 
I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. When God tells us that he's going to take us somewhere and he's going to bring us back, maybe he thought about Abraham and Isaac's experience where he said, listen, we're going up this mountain to worship, and we will return. And he heard the story about how God had provided a sacrifice. And so Abraham and Isaac came back. Because God promised that he would bless them through generation after generation. Jacob left Beersheba, verse 5. The sons of Israel took their father Jacob in the wagons. Now listen, here's what's interesting. When it was hard to believe the, the words of his sons... Could you imagine? All of a sudden, the wagons of Pharaoh show up. Man, the the royal transportation shows up. When God guides you somewhere, he will provide how he intends for you to get there. But this shows up, and and, and so he couldn't argue with that, unless he said, boys, man, why did y'all steal this time? You come back with the king's chariots, man, we're going to be in trouble. When he saw the wagons, he couldn't help but believe. Fear had died. Faith had grown. They took up their cattle. They took their possessions that they had acquired. They got the kids and the grandkids and said, God's moving us. Jacob's dream that was resurrected, notice here, is a dream for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. When you see Jacob's family, we won't read all of the family names. There's so much that we could say about each family. But from verses 8 all the way to verse 27, we could read about misfits. We could read about vile characters. We could read about sons and grandsons that had good days and sons and grandsons that had bad days. But we know that it included his influence on a new generation. I believe that a Christian and a family and a church family that wants to be a a people who experience the blessings of God are more likely to receive that when their desire is to channel that blessing from generation to generation. See, Jacob was old now. He was going to die soon anyway. But he was concerned about the generations to come. The the dream was a dream about generations that would see things that he would not see. And I commend you, Trinity, because you have a heart to reach a generation that will see things that you will not see. And I pray that rather than being discouraged, listen, I've heard it and I've said it before when, when we say, listen, I fear what our children and our grandchildren are going to experience in this world, especially, you notice, when it gets close to election time. We fear what they might see and experience in this world. But we need to let faith supplant that fear so that we bring up a generation that so knows and loves and serves the Lord Jesus that we can actually get excited about, listen, we know the world's getting darker, but man, I am so fired up about what my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren can do to shine a light in that darkness until the Lord Jesus comes again. We should be a people who live by faith and not by fear. And we should be a church that's passionate about making a difference for generations to come. That's why we say it all the time. 
neighbors, nations, and next generation. And so the blessing was for the posterity and their influence as well. The family was large, diverse, flawed. It was part of a great movement, however, because that's the gracious God that we serve. Troublemakers, those who had failed to stand, all in need of the great grace and providence of God. And sometimes we don't trust God to do that with us, and we don't trust God to do that with our family and with our offspring. We trust everything else, you know. When you guys came in to worship, I saw you exercise great faith before you even began to worship. Some of you, when you sat down, I didn't see anybody look under their chair to say, is this chair going to hold me up? But by faith, you sat down in that chair. Some of you will get in vehicles that exercises great faith. Some of you will leave church in a vehicle that a teenager is driving. When you leave here today, you exercise great faith. Some of us even get on airplanes that's like being strapped to a bullet that's shot through the air with a pilot that we've never met and do not know. And yet we exercise great faith for that to get us where we're going. And yet God places his call on our life and says, rest in me, trust me, go where I'm leading. And we're saying, God, I'm, I'm not sure you can protect me. I'm not sure you can protect my kids. We need to demonstrate greater faith in Almighty God than we can in the things that we can see. Because as we look around, like, Jacob could look around. We'll see testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness to us, and that will move us to trust him. I can scan the congregation this morning and see testimony after testimony after testimony, and I can say, God's been good to you. He held you through that season of life. He blessed you when you didn't feel worthy to be blessed, and he's resurrected a dream. And As I look across this congregation this morning, I see so many faithful, kept promises of God in your lives, and that inspires me. And that's why we need each other, and we need to see and talk about what God is doing in our lives. And finally, I want you to see that there was not only the demonstration of faith, but there was the diplomacy of the faithful, you know? The diplomacy of the faithful. In other words, we're called to live in a real world, and the world is not always passionate about the things of the God that we serve. And such was the case with Jacob and the land that he was headed to, Egypt. This would be a land of hostility toward Israel eventually, the, the people of Israel, the, the Jewish nation, but there was going to have to be some things worked out, things that were taken care of. Diplomacy means the skill of managing international relations. <laughs> Joseph then was a diplomat that God had placed in this specific setting for such a time as this. Diplomacy can mean simply helping a people group get along in the context of a strange people in land. Do you realize in this world we're strangers and aliens? As much as we even like to think of the United States as being a Christian nation, which it's, look around folks, it's not. (laughs) We're as hostile toward the things of God as we ever have been. We're a nation that in so many ways has turned its back on God We're a nation that's in need of grace and redemption and revival. But God's people group in this world is not a geographical nation today. It's the church. It's the bride and the body of Christ. 
And we're called to live as strangers and aliens in this world, as diplomats, as ambassadors for Christ. Jacob had the help of his son Joseph. Joseph, who had practically been resurrected himself, as far as in Jacob's mind, Joseph was dead. And now his son, who has been resurrected, is going to be the one who's going to be that faithful diplomat in his life. Look, look at verse 28 in chapter 46. We, after we see all the family that's headed down, Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. When they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot. He went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Joseph presented himself to him, threw his arms around him, and he wept for a long time as we would have in the same situation. Then Israel said to Joseph, at last I can die. I now have seen your face, and I know that you're still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. Indeed, they raise livestock. They have brought their sheep and their cattle and all that they have. When Pharaoh addresses you and asks, what is your occupation? You are to say you are servants, both we and our fathers. We have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, since all shepherds are abhorrent to Egyptians. Goshen was kind of that isolated area, but yet it was convenient because it was a place where they would not only be protected, but because of their skill, because of their agricultural skills, they would still have great influence in a land that would need their influence. They could be diplomats, if you will, in Egypt. So Joseph went down, chapter 47 says, and informed Pharaoh, my father and his brothers with their sheep, and cattle and all that they have have come from the land of Canaan and are now in the land of Goshen. He took five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said, your, your servants, both we and our fathers, are shepherds. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to live in the land for a while because there's no grazing land for your servants' sheep since the famine in the land of Canaan has been so severe so now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. God worked all of this out as you continue to read about their pilgrimage to Egypt in these verses to come. God worked all of that out because they were, especially because of their brother Joseph, at times they were able to be as shrewd as serpents, but as harmless as doves. And so they were in a land that was not their home but they were in that land to make a difference. God has placed us in this world. God is resurrecting our dreams, not for our own, not just so that we would be a blessing to our posterity, but Israel ultimately was to bless all nations, which was a foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that through that line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Judah, you follow Judah's lineage, his brother's lineage down, to the coming of Messiah into this world. They would be a blessing to all nations. Listen, you are in this world so that you might be 
in relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, and the blessings that come with that relationship should not stop with you, but should flow through you as you have the gift of diplomacy, helping people be in right relationship with God in a foreign land, making the gospel known to those around you. There are people that need you, as well as the fact that you need other people. The story's told, and it was portrayed in the movie 42 about the Jackie Robinson story. The story is told of when they were coming to play baseball in Cincinnati, and Jackie Robinson being the first African-American pro baseball player there that would be heckled and be called all kinds of names. And so many racist comments were being made from the opposing team's dugout. But yet one of the most popular players on his team was known as Pee Wee Reese. He was an all-star. Everybody loved him. He was from Kentucky, so playing in Cincinnati there just across the state line. He had a lot of family, a lot of friends there. And so as the people started to call names and jeer and put down Jackie Robinson, they said Pee Wee Reese walked over and just put his arm on his shoulder. And all the jeering just kind of died down. There's somebody in your family, there's somebody in this church, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your school, young people, somebody in your workplace, that in the midst of all they're facing, they need a diplomat. They need somebody to garnish the respect of those around them and, and, and come over and lay their hand on their shoulder and say, I'm with you. I got you back. It may be you that are in need of that. Maybe you're called to be a Joseph in somebody's life. Maybe you're in need of a Joseph in your life. Our God is able to both empower you to be that and to provide you with that when you need it so that the dream is still alive. God's bringing people into your life for those reasons. Are you sensitive to it? Are you looking for them? Those that you need and those who need you? Are you keeping an eye out for those folks? Or are we just going through life oblivious to it all? We have a God who wants to resurrect dreams. When he does, the fear begins to die. Faith begins to arise. And he brings people into your life to show you you can't do it by yourself. He brings people in your life that you will also be a blessing to. Ask the Spirit of God to show you who they are today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you that there is one great friend and advocate that rises above all others. That while we were in great need in this world, you sent your Son from heaven. That Jesus came into our world to show us how to live, to redeem us from our sins, to teach us to love. Lord, you didn't call anybody here to receive that blessing and keep it to themselves. 
but you've called us all to be channels of that blessing to this world that desperately needs you. Father, I pray that if there's one here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that before they think about what they can pass along, that they'd realize they can't give what they don't have, that they would turn from sin and self today and that they would trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And what you did, Lord, on that cross through your death when you paid the price for our sins. Confident, Lord, that you rose again on the third day to give us life. As Pastor Ben read about before the baptism, that we could be raised to walk in newness of life because of what Jesus did for us. Lord, if there's a man, woman, boy, or girl in this place this morning that's never found their identity in you, Lord, if they've never given their heart, their life to you and turned from their sin and trusted by faith in what you did on the cross, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would put total faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.